Section 25 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 11. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Meg Huskin. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 11, Section 25, Thomas Decker. Approximately 1570 to approximately 1637. Thomas Decker, the genial realist, the Dickens of Jacobean London, has left in his works the impress of a most lovable personality, but the facts with which to surround that personality are of the scantiest. He was born about 1570 in London. At least, in 1637, he speaks of himself as over threescore years of age. This is the only clue we have to the date of his birth. He came probably of a tradesman's family, for he describes better than any of his fellows in art the life of the lower middle class, and enters into the thoughts and feelings of that class with a hardiness which is possible only after a long and familiar association. He was not a university man, but absorbed his classical knowledge as Shakespeare did through association with the wits of his time. He is first mentioned in Henslow's diary in 1597, and after that his name appears frequently. He was evidently a dramatic hack, working for that manager, adapting and making over old plays and writing new ones. He must have been popular, too, for his name appears oftener than that of any of his associates. Yet his industry and popularity could not always keep him above the water. Henslow was not a generous paymaster, and the unlucky dramatist knew the inside of the debtor's prison cell. More than once, the manager advanced sums to bail him out. Oldis says he was in prison from 1613 to 1616. After 1637, we find his name no more. As a dramatist, Decker was most active between the years 1598 and 1602. In one of those years alone, he was engaged on 12 plays. Many of these have been lost. Of the few that remain, two of the most characteristic belong to this period. The Shoemaker's Holiday, published in 1599, shows Decker on his genial, realistic side, with his sense of fun and his hearty sympathy with the life of the people. It bubbles over with the delight in mere living and is full of kindly feeling toward all the world. It was sure to appeal to its audience, especially to the pit, where the tradesmen and artisans with their wives applauded, and noisiest of all, the prentices shouted their satisfaction. Here they saw themselves and their masters brought on the stage, somewhat idealized, but still full of frolic and good nature. It is one of the brightest and pleasantest of Elizabethan comedies. Close on its heels followed the pleasant comedy of old Fortunatus. 
Here, Decker the idealist, the poet of luxurious fancy and rich yet delicate imagination, is seen at his best. Fortunatus, with his wishing hat and wonderful purse, appealed to the romantic spirit of the time, when men still sailed in search of the Hesperides, compounded the elixir of youth, and sought for the philosopher's stone. Decker worked over an old play of the same name. The subject of both was taken from the old German Volksbuch, Fortunatus of 1519. Among the collaborators of Decker at this time was Ben Jonson. Both these men were realists, but Jonson slashed into life with bitter satire, whereas Decker cloaked over its frailties with a tender humor. Again, Jonson was a conscientious artist, aiming at perfection. Decker, while capable of much higher poetry, was often careless and slipshod. No wonder that the director scorned his somewhat irresponsible co-worker. The precise nature of their quarrel, one of the most famous among authors, is not known. It culminated in 1601, when Johnson produced The Poetaster, a play in which Decker and Marston were mercilessly ridiculed. Decker replied shortly in Satiromastix, or The Untrussing of the Humorous Poet, a burlesque full of good-natured mockery of his antagonist. Decker wrote, in conjunction with Webster, Westward Ho, Northward Ho, and Sir Thomas Wyatt, with Middleton, the Roaring Girl, with Massinger, the Virgin Martyr, and with Ford, the Sun's Darling, and the Witch of Edmonton. Among the products of Decker's old age, Match Me in London is ranked among his half-dozen best plays, and The Wonder of a Kingdom is a fair journeyman's work. One of the most versatile of the later Elizabethans, prolonging their style and ideas into the new world of the Stuarts, Decker was also prominent as a pamphleteer. He first appeared as such in 1603, with The Wonderful Year 1603, wherein is showed the picture of London lying sick of the plague, a vivid description of the pest, which undoubtedly served Defoe as a model in his famous book on the same subject. The best known of his many pamphlets, however, is the Gull's Horn Book, a graphic description of the ways and manners of the gallants of the time. These various tracts are invaluable for the light they throw on the social life of Jacobean London. Lastly, Decker as a songwriter must not be forgotten. He had the genuine lyric gift and poured forth his bird notes, sweet, fresh, and spontaneous full of the singer's joy in his song. He also wrote some very beautiful prayers. Varied and unequal as Decker's work is, he is one of the hardest among the Elizabethans to classify. He at times rises to the very heights of poetic inspiration, soaring above most of his contemporaries, to drop all of a sudden down to a dead level of prose. But he makes up for his shortcomings, by his wholehearted, manly view of life, his compassion for the weak, his sympathy with the lowly, 
his determination to make the best of everything and to show the good hidden away under the evil. Quote, Toil, envy, want, the patron, and the jail, end quote. These he knew from bitter experience, yet never allowed them to overcloud his buoyant spirits, but made them serve his artistic purposes. Joyousness is the prevailing note of his work, mingled with a pathetic undertone of patience. From the Gull's Horn Book How a Gallant Should Behave Himself in Powell's Walk Now for your venturing into the walk. Be circumspect and wary what pillar you come in at, and take heed in any case, as you love the reputation of your honor, that you avoid the serving man's dog, but bend your course directly in the middle line, that the whole body of the church may appear to be yours, where, in view of all, you may publish your suit in what manner you affect most, either with the slide of your cloak from the one shoulder, and then you must, as twere in anger, suddenly snatch at the middle of the inside, if it be taffeta at the least, and so by the means your costly lining is betrayed, or else by the pretty advantage of the compliment. But one note, by the way, do I especially woo you to, the neglect of which makes many of our gallants cheap and ordinary, that you by no means be seen above four turns, but in the fifth make yourself away, either in some of the semster's shops, the new tobacco office, or amongst the booksellers, where, if you cannot read, exercise your smoke and inquire who has writ against this divine weed, etc. For this, withdrawing yourself a little will much benefit your suit, which else by too long walking would be stale to the whole spectators. But howsoever, if Powell's jacks be up with their elbows and quarreling to strike eleven, as soon as ever the clock has parted them and ended the fray with his hammer, let not the duke's gallery contain you any longer, but pass away apace in open view. In which departure, if by chance you either encounter, or aloof off throw your inquisitive eye upon any knight or squire, being your familiar, salute him not by his name of Sir, such a one, or so, but call him Ned, or Jack, etc. This will set off your estimation with great men, and if, though there be a dozen companies between you, tis the better, he call aloud to you, for that's most Gentile, to know where he shall find you at two o'clock, tell him at such an ordinary, or such, and be sure to name those that are dearest, and whither none but your gallants resort. After dinner, you may appear again, having translated yourself out of your English cloth cloak into a light turkey gogram, if you have that happiness of shifting, and then be seen, for a turn or two, to correct your teeth with some quill or silver instrument, and to cleanse your gums with the wrought handkerchief. It skills not whether you dined or no, that's best known to your stomach, 
or in what place you dined, though it were with cheese of your own mother's making in your chamber or study. Suck this humor up especially. Put off to none unless his hat-band be of a newer fashion than yours, and then three degrees quainter. But for him that wears the troubled cypress around his hat, though he were an alderman's son, never move to him, for he's suspected to be worse than a gull, and not worth the putting off to. That cannot observe the time of his hat-band, nor know what fashioned block is most kin to his head. For in my opinion, ye brain that cannot choose his felt well, being the head ornament, must needs pour folly into all the rest of the members, and be an absolute confirmed fool in summa totale. The great dial is your last monument. These bestow some half of the threescore minutes to observe the sauciness of the jakes that are above the man in the moon there. The strangeness of the motion will quit your labor. Besides, you may here have fit occasion to discover your watch by taking it forth and setting the wheels to the time of Powell's, which, I assure you, goes truer by five notes than St. Sepulchre's chimes. The benefit that will arise from hence is this, that you publish your charge in maintaining a gilded clock, and with all the world shall know that you are a time-server. By this I imagine you have walked your bellyful, and thereupon being weary, or, which I rather believe, being most gentlemanlike hungry, it is fit that I brought you in to the duke. So, because he follows the fashion of great men in keeping no house, and that therefore you must go seek your dinner, suffer me to take you by the hand, and lead you into an ordinary. Sleep. Do but consider what an excellent thing sleep is. It is so inestimable a jewel, that if a tyrant would give his crown for an hour's slumber, it cannot be bought. Yea, so greatly are we indebted to this kinsman of death, that we owe the better tributary half of our life to him, and there is good cause why we should do so. For sleep is that golden chain that ties health and our bodies together. Who complains of want, of wounds, of cares, of great men's oppressions, of captivity whilst he sleepeth? Beggars in their beds take as much pleasure as kings. Can we therefore surfeit on this delicate ambrosia? Can we drink too much of that? whereof to taste too little tumbles us into a churchyard, and to use it but indifferently throws us into bedlam. No, no, look upon Endymion, the moon's minion, who slept threescore and fifteen years, and was not a hair the worse for it, can lying abed till noon then, being not the threescore and fifteenth thousand part of his nap, be hurtful? The Praise of Fortune From Old Fortunatus Fortune smiles, cry holiday, Dimples on her cheek do dwell. Fortune frowns, 
cry well a day. Her love is heaven, her hate is hell. Since heaven and hell obey her power, tremble when her eyes do lower. Since heaven and hell her power obey, when she smiles, cry holiday. Holiday with joy we cry, and bend and bend, and merrily sing hymns to fortune's deity. Sing hymns to fortune's deity. Chorus Let us sing merrily, 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 with our songs let heaven resound. Fortune's hands our heads have crowned. Let us sing merrily, merrily, merrily. Content from Patient Gristle Art thou poor, yet hast thou golden slumbers, O oh, sweet content? Art thou rich, yet is thy mind perplexed, O punishment. Dost thou laugh to see how fools are vexed to add to golden numbers golden numbers? O oh, sweet content, O oh, sweet, O oh, sweet content. Work apace, 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 honest labor bears a lovely face. Then hey, nonny, nonny, hey, nonny, nonny. Canst drink the waters of the crispid spring. O oh, sweet content! Swimst thou in wealth, yet sinkest in thine own tears? O oh, punishment! Then he that patiently wants burden bears no burden bears, but is a king, a king. O oh, sweet content! O oh, sweet, O oh, sweet content! Rustic Song from the sun's darling. Haymakers, rakers, reapers, and mowers, wait on your summer queen. Dress up with musk rose, her eglantine bowers, daffodils strew the green. Sing, dance, and play, tis holiday. The sun does bravely shine on our ears of corn. Rich as a pearl comes every girl. This is mine, this is mine, this is mine. Let us die ere away they be born. Bow to our son, to our queen, and that fair one come to behold our sports. Each bonny lass here is counted a rare one, as those in princes' courts. These and we with country glee will teach the woods to resound and the hills with echoes hollow. Skipping lambs, their bleeding dams, mongst kids shall trip it round. For joy thus our wenches we follow. Wind, jolly huntsman, your neat bugles shrilly. Hounds, make a lusty cry. Spring up, you falconers, partridges freely. Then let your brave hawks fly. Horses amain, over ridge, over plain, The dogs have the stag in chase. Tis a sport to content a king. So ho, ho through the skies how the proud bird flies, And sousing kills with a grace. Now the deer falls. Hark how they ring. 
Lullaby From Patient Gristle Golden slumbers kiss your eyes, Smiles awake you when you rise. Sleep, pretty wantons, do not cry, And I will sing a lullaby. Rock them, rock them, lullaby. Care is heavy, therefore sleep you. You are care, and care must keep you. Sleep, pretty wantons, do not cry, And I will sing a lullaby. Rock them, rock them, lullaby. End of section 25 Recording by Meg Huskin